Hey guys, welcome to episode number two of Stir the Pot, a podcast all about food and the people obsessed with it. On this episode, I am joined by the fabulous Georgina Hayden, a food writer and stylist whose first book, Stirring Slowly, was recently released. But if you want something that is a bit authentic, shove it in a balm cake. Like, you know. And when, I love that we're talking about the authenticity. It's authentic. You know, what? you can't, like, that's just, that's what they do. I also just want to say a massive thank you for downloading the first episode. And for those of you that tweeted about it or left reviews on iTunes, thank you, thank you. I appreciate it so much. Keep it up. So without further ado, let's get straight into today's episode. So today I've been joined by Georgina Hayden, who for the last 10 years has been a food stylist and writer for Jamie Oliver's food team, and her first cookbook has just been released, or will have been when this podcast comes out, we're recording a little early, and the book is called Stirring Slowly, and it's a beautiful book. I'm not just saying that because she's sat next to me. Oh, thanks. Uh, it is a really beautiful book, and I think yeah. it has a really interesting idea behind it. And it's one of the books that I've bookmarked more than any in terms of what oh. I actually want to cook. Um, thanks, I think it is one of those books there you want to dive into it. Amazing. I think Thank it is you. a really beautiful book. So, um, the main question... Oh, yeah. hi. Of hi. course, we should say hi. hi. I should say hi. I mean, hi. I should also say that um, Georgina's just cooked an incredible lunch. I think I've probably got like herbs in my teeth or something. <laughs> it's good that you if can't you see. have, I have too, so that's, that's fine. Right. Um, no, it was an incredible lunch, and we had oh. recipes from the book. What did we have? Yeah, we had a very springtime salad. We had grilled radicchio with hazelnuts and cranberries, and we had roasted brassicas with saffron uh, tahini yogurt. It was so, yeah. delicious. We're trying to be, we're trying to be good, aren't we? It's Monday. <laughs> Trying to be uh, healthy whilst, whilst. Uh, Georgine's just made me an Aperol spritz. I mean, it's it's, it's you know, half one. It's lunchtime. It's, it's fine. lunchtime. The pubs are open. I think that's fine. <laughs> the pubs are open and I'm... What am I doing? I've got a very little got, thing to do You've later, got so an easy fine. afternoon. I've got a very You're easy fine. afternoon. It's fine. It's You're fine. Right. So the idea of the podcast says hopefully this is now our second episode. Okay. So if anyone has listened to this before, they will know the idea. But the idea is there's one question. Brilliant. And the one question is... Uh, why has food become such an important part of your life? And that hopefully will spring into a conversation. Yeah, okay. Why has food become an important part of my life? Um, I think it's always been important to me. I've, I'm sure every time you ask this question, you'll get like, you know, different responses. But for me, I was literally born above my grandparents' restaurant, grew up there. So my family are incredibly foodie. My mum's family um, moved over from Cyprus in the 50s and my granddad set up a, a deli in um sort of north london um and he was one of the first people to import in separate ingredients into the uk so he was really well known in the separate community so she grew up uh basically above a delicatessen and then my dad's family again moved over from the 50s as well in the 50s and they set up a restaurant so they had a restaurant in tufnell park and that was open for around just under 30 years Wow. Yeah, so long time. And, um, so when did that close? I must have been about 12, so... I'm sure my age, aren't I? Probably like, what, <laughs> like, mid-90s? You know, seven years ago. Just like last yeah, year, last year? No, yeah, like mid-90s probably. So I remember it for a while as well, and um, I we lived upstairs. And then when I came along, obviously, we sort of outgrew the flat we were in, so we moved down the road. My grandparents still lived upstairs. And, yeah, they the, it was the heart and soul of our family for... Well, before I was born and then, you know, when I was there as well. And everything revolved around this restaurant. The deli closed before, they retired before I was born. 
but my dad's parents, you know, a bit younger, kept going. So it was, it was so, food has always been literally the centre of my family and our lives, really. Everything. And that's kind of what Stoic Stanley's about, but that's also what my, how my outlook on food is, like, just genuinely, it's the centre. You, you can say a lot through cooking. I think that definitely came through in the book. I mean, uh, reading it, it reminds me of how I feel about food. It's very... It comes across as being the centre of everything. Yeah. And I, the thing I liked about the book a lot was you clearly use food to celebrate, mm-hmm. to help you through tough times. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a really important thing. Mm. And I don't think that's the same thing for everybody. Yeah. Um, when did that kind of become the way you dealt with everything? Because it's a really nice way of living I think yeah do you know what I think I always have but I wasn't aware of it until probably maybe four or five years ago so we have always you know if anyone was poorly and my granny would make a special food for that if it was a birthday there'd be a special food for that so growing up that was just the way it was and I didn't question it and especially Mm. being from a Cypriot family even though I didn't have many Cypriot friends um, we have a big family and everyone's the same. My sister had separate friends. There was always a big community. So everyone was the same. So I didn't question that. And that wasn't abnormal for me. And it wasn't until I sort of, I guess, went away to university. And that's why I didn't realise I wanted to work in food because sure. I didn't think it was abnormal. And so I actually studied fine art. Um, and it wasn't until I was at uni. It was probably because I was taken out of my comfort zone, left London, went to Yorkshire. And I was like, hold up. Not everyone reads food magazines for fun. Uh, that's probably nope. not normal. So, yeah, I think in my 20s... Especially back then when it wasn't, you know, the kind no. of food celebrity culture that we have now. It Absolutely. would have been much more unusual. There was two, you know. There was there <laughs> yeah. was delicious. No, there was delicious good food and olive. I mean, that was yeah. literally it. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So I think probably around then. And then as I got older, um, mid to late 20s, you know, you get older, life gets real people get sick, um, you know, friends lose family, you know, I've had, quite early on, we had quite a few friends lose their parents, Mm. Um, my sister got diagnosed with cancer, so all these, these horrific things were happening around us, and it it was interesting, like, you know, your reaction if something goes wrong, or if someone's to celebrate, or something is to buy a bunch of flowers, or send a card, and actually, it became apparent that actually I just wanted to make them soup or a cake to celebrate or soup to nourish them or just help them in some way and I think it's interesting because obviously there's so much around healthy food at the moment and that's great but actually do you know what is healthier it's healthier just to sit back and think about what you're eating and cook things with love I think as soon as you take time to really fully appreciate what it is that you're cooking that is healthy. I completely agree. I've always said that I think cooking, and especially cooking for other people, yeah, it's a very, it clearly shows that you care about somebody. Mm. And also cooking for yourself is always healthier than yes. buying something. So I think Absolutely. just by understanding what you're putting into your body yeah. is always a better thing. Even if you are cooking what today would be classed as dirty mm. or, mm-hmm. you know, unhealthy. Yeah. I think when you know what you're putting into your body, you tend to be more balanced and you eat better for yourself. And I think that's definitely key. Absolutely. Like, if you uh, are the kind of person that eats dirty, you know, (laughs) um, if you actually made all those dirty meals, you'd naturally just eat less of them because you'd be aware of how much, you know, you're eating. And there's nothing wrong with having a burger, but actually, if you start making them yourselves, you see all the grease and all the fat and whatever, and that's... You'll just naturally probably eat less. So, um, So, yeah, and then I just... 
it sort of occurred to me that actually that's that's my take on healthy eating it's not it's not i don't need to um i don't need to eat less of stuff or eat you do you know you you manage by thinking i need to eat some more greens or less meat or whatever but actually just by doing it yourself you become aware and you become in control and i think for me after our son died and we had a really tough time that for me was something that i could control and that was you know that was my way of coping and and also i guess my way of making sure that my little family was healthy and we were you know doing i was doing the best i could and and that's not to say that all our lovely friends and family who bought around things like flowers and gifts they weren't appreciated they really were but the thing that really stuck struck me was actually the people friends of ours like bless them they can't even cook but you know they really tried and they'd come around with like soup and stuff because we weren't able to feed ourselves and and I just that really resonated with me I was like wow that that's incredible you are someone who I know does not care about cooking yeah but you have taken the time to make me this meal and like even now that gives me goosebumps because that that is just amazing I think you, the, the best thing you can give someone is the time yeah I completely agree and especially if you're not someone who cooks very often yeah that's kind of double effort because you are really showing actually Ooh. I really care about you and I want you to be in a good position yeah um what did you when you weren't uh, working in food between university? Did you actually work in art or no? No, no. I um, no, I was working in food. I so I <laughs> left school at eighteen, left college, and I didn't go to university straight away. I did a gap year, then I did a foundation in art, and then I went to uni. Um, in my gap year, I worked in an Indian deli, and it was really cool, quite ahead of its time actually. Um, and I've got a huge obsession with Indian food, so that was amazing. And I actually had a farmer's market store. I had a few jobs because I was saving to go travelling. And, um, you know, I, I didn't have any money. Yeah. So I so I literally had to save that money. So I had, like, three jobs. Um, and one of them was a farmer's market store. What did you sell on the farmer's um, market? Cake, bread, platters of salads. Just, like, you know... Which farmer's market was it? It was actually down the road where I now live, which is weird because, I, you know, I've just moved here. But there was a farmer's market in Palmer's Green. I'm not sure if it's still there because I go to the one here now. But um, it was in Palmer's Green and it was in the station car park. And it was wow. lovely. And it was just at the time. So oh, 16 years ago where the whole farmer's market thing was in yeah. London anyway. Especially in London, yeah, when the association we didn't really started. have any of them. Um, so that was wicked and then like the local cafe was like oh we'd like you to make cakes for us I was like no go on travelling later so um, but you know even then still didn't clock I wanted to make food yeah. because your te- my teachers at school I went to quite a rough inner city state school girls school and I was relatively academic and they were like well no you need to go and do art you need to do architecture whatever so I was like yeah yeah cool so I did that, and then um, it was during my course that I realised actually I, ca- I cared about food more. Yeah. So I wrote to Delicious, and I said, um, can I come and do work experience? And they said, yes. So I did this two-week placement in my final year. My tutor turned a blind eye, thankfully. And <laughs> I just came back to London and did that two-week placement. And then literally just before I graduated, they rang me and said, we have a three-month, uh, a bit like a runner's position. Yeah. Um, would you be interested so I was like yeah of course so I literally took my exhibition down on a Monday in Leeds got the train back Monday night and started work at Delicious well it wasn't Delicious it was Seven Publishing so it was yes. Delicious Sainsbury's loads yeah, of yeah. 
um, started my job there on Tuesday. Wow, so you literally have, I, I like, had in a... the technical way we think of jobs, yeah, your yeah. main jobs have always been in Yeah, theory. yeah, so literally I've had two jobs since uni, so I, I did a year, uh, did three months there to start, they kept me on full-time as the food team assistant, um, and I stayed there exactly a year before I joined Jamie's, because he obviously used to have an affiliation with Sainsbury's, I yes. met his stylist on a shoot, and she was come on work with us so she'll hate that impersonation but it's pretty accurate. I'm sure she will she, it's pretty accurate and uh, and yeah so then I started with him I went straight from one job to the other and I've been there 10 years so so you've had two jobs I've wow. had two jobs I think yeah. it's very it seems, I mean, <laughs> it's quite rare in the I think it's very rare I mean you know most food stylists are freelance yes yeah there's yeah, very yeah. few in house these days yeah really um, but I, I do find it interesting there seems to be a very big connection between art and food styling yes the amount of stylists I work with who have mm. a background or a degree especially foundation degree mm. in art is fascinating and I think often they are the best stylists yeah yeah it's interesting because obviously I think um, you know in a, in a time when chefs are really celebrated which is great and you know fair it's quite sometimes be like well you're not a chef um, but you know what can I say to you I've, I've grown up yeah. in a restaurant my granddad's a chef my, my whole family works in the kitchen my granny's a chef and you know I've been working in industry for 11 years and I think the art background isn't uncommon actually because the thing you know food has to be delicious that is obviously the most important thing but especially in this you know where social media and photography is so huge now people want the food to look nice and I'm not saying it should you know, if I get a meal and it looks beautiful and tastes crap, it's going to still taste crap. I'm not going to tell you it look, tastes amazing because it looks pretty, but it, you know, you do, first thing you do is you see, so you eat with your eyes. The first thing is, it's visual, you know, and actually it has a huge part to play. So yeah, a lot of us do have um, art backgrounds. One of the stylists I work with was a photographer. She's a photography. Quite a few of them have actually. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's really important. It's about telling a story as well, isn't it? I think well, it is that's... definitely about telling a story. But I also think that there's a really uh, interesting connection between the way food looks and especially these days because the styling seems to go through trends. And my mind instantly popped back to kind of the seventies cookbooks mm. where everything, none of it looks edible. No. It all looks kind of coated in varnishes. Mm. I mean, I know that's occasionally still done with a turkey. Uh, some, you know, it's not the yeah. best thing to do, but you know, it's all for someone who doesn't understand what food selling is, how would you explain what that is as a job? Okay, so I think for me it's a bit different. There's, there's different types of food styling. So there's two types. There's uh, there are um, people that really specialise in advertising, and then there are people that um, specialise in editorial. And you do get stylists who cross over and do both. Um, there are a few, but you know a lot of people that do advertising specialise in that, and vice versa. So, um, and they're different types. So the people that do editorial stuff, which is magazines and books, and um, they're much more. I guess they're much more. They're freer, so you can do um, something that's just beautiful because it's beautiful. You're not selling anything at the end of the day. You're making a, a recipe look as beautiful as it can, so that the reader will want to make that recipe. Um, and that can be more creative. You'll have prop stylists, but again, the briefs will be looser um, and everything can be a bit more artistic. That's my sort of maybe my preferred way, but that's not to say I don't love the advertising as well. I find that inf inf like fascinating. It's so interesting. That is different. That's more sort of the food styling you're referring to with the varnish and whatnot, because that's like, you know, okay, everyone knows the Marks and Spencer's Christmas ads. You know, they've become yes. so famous, iconic, haven't they? Yeah. They're iconic and they do take weeks to film. Yeah. And that 
to someone who doesn't maybe isn't, isn't aware of food styling be like why but you know we're talking full-on productions where um you will have the same thing almost 50 times over to find the perfect dish the perfect cake meal whatever it is that you're shooting you know you will have your kit will look like a doctor's kit there'll be skin graft blades there'll be scalpels there'll be tweezers um and and it's a completely different way of food styling that is maybe one of the types that still is played around with a lot yeah but that's advertising and at the end of the day you know if you have a huge pizza chain they want a shot of their pizza slice being lifted from a board with strings of cheese yeah like that's that's it you know because that says pizza to people when they watch that of course it's what they want to see even if it's not the reality of it exactly and that's what you're buying into so it's different types it's different types of food styling both I think are fascinating um but yeah, they are completely different. Whereas the advertising side is much more, it's almost, it's a science and it's an art and it's not, um, I mean, it's less creative, but yeah. it's an art. I mean, it you know, is, yeah. you have like, there's a food stylist and his job is the cheese. Like he is the guy yeah. that is the specialist of the cheese yeah. on pizzas. It's the same thing with ice cream. Yeah, there's ice cream. No. I mean, ice cream, you know, you ball it up, dry ice, all that malarkey. So I don't think anyone does mashed potato anymore. I, I've never like. No, I've heard stories, but I've never no. seen ice uh, mashed potato as ice cream. No, like to be fair, I've never rich. seen much fakery. You know, but maybe that's your more. But I'm editorial, aren't you? so the only thing I've ever, I've ever done is uh, when we were shooting a big cake feature, and there was lots of decorating. So the cakes were made of polystyrene yeah. because it was about the decoration. Okay, but that's the only kind of fakery. Yeah. I can see that I think I can imagine why you're focusing something else and I think for me where I've worked for Jamie for 10 years he won't do anything fake so even when we used to do advertising stuff or we do advertising stuff with him the food always has to be edible because he'll want to eat it and he (laughs) won't ever want to be associated with an image where the food is not real I agree but so maybe that's why I'm not as you know I'm not into that stuff as much I just haven't done it for a long time but yeah I think it's it's uh, I mean, for someone who loves food so much, I think working with something that is freer and is much mm. more quicker feels much more natural. Yeah. Because you get to eat it. Absolutely. And it's not been sat there for seven hours, yeah. getting cold and stale. And... and playing around with it as well seems weird. Like, you know, yes, I am a food stylist. So actually, if I plate up a dish, chances are it might look relatively nice. Mm-hmm. You kind of hope so. That is my job. I mean, lunch not, looks beautiful. Was... So. Oh, thanks very much. <laughs> but, you know, like... And maybe someone else might not do it in the same way. And it's like, well, mine doesn't look as nice as yours. But it's like, well, I have spent sort of a bit of time playing around with it. But at the same time, I don't want to spend too much time because I don't want someone at home to then create it. And it looks totally different. I mean, that is also a a worry. I completely agree. I have this thing where um, my publisher would tell me, I I can be a little bit of a perfectionist Mm. when it comes to cake decorating and cakes. Yeah. And so sometimes I make something look incredibly clean and then sometimes if I make something that looks a little messy, I get annoyed at it. But my publisher says, it looks homemade. I'm like, yeah. mm-hmm. <laughs> I made it. But I do think there's something where you can tell the difference between something that looks really natural yeah. and simple. And I think that's a really beautiful thing. Yeah. Um, talking of Jamie, he's writes something in the introduction to mm. the book that I think was really interesting. And it definitely stands true to me. Mm. He's talking about the way you seem to understand what people want to cook. Okay. And I think it's a really valid point because you know I, I have a lot of cookbooks I probably have a few hundred wow. and you're going through them often there's a handful of recipes in the yeah. book but yours was one of a few over the last year where I would happily cook almost everything oh, it just you. seems to have a really Thank good you. balance in the book of 
I want to cook that today. Yeah. That's my weekend thing. Aww. And I wonder if that partly comes from the fact that for 10 years you've worked for for someone who is all about cooking yeah. for real people, not for super aspirational. Mm. It is just the everyday kind of deliciousness. Yeah, I rec- it must be. It must be as a result of that because I think he's such an inspiration and he's such an amazing guy. You know, it is quite rare to find someone who's stayed in a job for 10 years. You know, everyone's sort of, I'm, you know, I am quite, I want, I want a fast pace, I want change, and actually I get that with him, and he's brilliant, so, yeah, it says a result of working for him, and he's, you know, whenever we write a book, whenever he'll write his book, we'll sit down, and we will do overviews, so he'll write it in stages almost, so there'll be like the initial brain dump of recipes, yeah. and then that gets put into chapters, and then almost we'll shoot, walk away, come back, and then it'll be like, right, what's missing, and I re- it means so much that you've picked up on that and because I did the same thing for my own because that's what I've been trained to do so like when I first wrote the book, started writing the book I wrote the recipes that I wanted to write straight away put it aside for a bit came back to it and then I was like right okay let's balance this out if I was doing these what would I want to complement it and I think that's that's really important to me because I you know you do I do notice that some books are quite heavily leaning to one thing or whatever and I think you know to make sure it's evenly dispersed and balanced is it's it's appealing I think it's it represents and reflects our lives so but then again you know that is my job like you know people say to me oh you know you cook really well I'm like yeah but you would too if that's all you did all day every day like you know and I'm, I'm not just saying that to be modest but that is all I do like you know I write for the public and I and I, I work with someone whose job is to write really accessible recipes so yeah. you'd kind of hope that would have some sort of impact I guess I think it definitely has I mean um, I read through the book this weekend and the word that kept springing to my mind was balance because mm. for many reasons I think the book doesn't claim to be a healthy eating book yeah but there is plenty of very healthy things in there yeah. and i like the feeling that that's almost accidental i know it's yes. not yeah, 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 because yeah. that's the way you eat but the thing i've I, I reject a lot with a lot of current books is mm. the pushing down your throat you have to eat this you have to eat this and i've always liked the books that come from the viewpoint of this is delicious first oh by the way it's really healthy yeah and I think there's very few people who can do that. I think yeah. Anna Jones did a really yes, good job at it. Absolutely. You could easily label her book clean eating. Yeah. But it's not yeah, yeah, because yeah. everything in it is delicious. And yeah. I think yours comes from the same viewpoint to me yeah. in that it just says, oh my God, that's delicious. I want to cook it. By the way, it's really healthy. <laughs> um, and one of the things that um, it made me laugh out loud, I'm not sure it's supposed to, <laughs> um, was the recipe for um, blondies. Oh, my, no, um, my intro. The coconut oil. Yeah. So I want you to explain the coconut oil thing because to me it was, it, I was almost pumping the air with yes. Oh thank God, you. that was quite a rant. I actually turned to my editor. I was like, "Do you, do we need to get rid of this?" She was like, "No, definitely not." So before I explain to you the coconut, my coconut beef, um, the it was interesting actually. So uh, when when for Jake for a lot of magazines now, if you um, write recipes, they will calorie count them. So. Which is the most depressing thing Which for a baker. Really, oh my God, I know. <laughs> oh, I mean, when he well, works quite, in really delicious things. You, you know, I often do cake shoots. Yeah. So I'm like, oh my God, serves 500? Anyway, um, <laughs> but yeah, so so when, uh, so when Jamie Magazine have taken some of my recipes from the book for the summer issue, which is amazing. And the in-house nutritionist sent me an email. And she was like, by the way, just in case you want the nutritional analysis of these seven recipes. 
I was like, okay, great. And they were all really good. And, you know, yeah, I think if I had gone out and a bit like Anna, who obviously I adore, she's an amazing friend. And if I'd gone out and been like, oh, FYI guys, uh, 75% of my book is really healthy. You know, I probably would have had to make more money, but it's not, or, you know, sell more books or have a different sort of outlook on my career. But that's, like you say, that's not what it's about. I'm not doing it for, that's just the way I eat. That's yeah. just the way it is. At the end of the day, I, I, I'm not there to make you thinner. <laughs> no, and I think it's just, for me, as someone who is obsessed with food and loves food, that point of view is always off-putting. Yeah. So if someone is trying oh, to push cool. down an agenda of yeah. healthy eating, it makes me think, oh, that book's going to be joyless. It's yeah. just not going to be the sort of thing I want to read or cook from. Yeah. And so I do like it when it has more of a Accidental. almost by chance thing. So the coconut oil, my coconut oil issue is, um, uh, where do I begin without sounding really, really heavily opinionated, which I am. I mean, you the, can be. Um, no one's listening to this. It's absolutely fine. That's fine. Uh, there'll be one person and they'll, they'll, <laughs> they'll send me a horrible email. Um, so I am really lucky that we have an in-house nutrition team at Jamie's and they are the loveliest, loveliest girls. And... Um, Jamie has been uh, far healthier the last few years mm-hmm. and he's done some really amazing books um, and one of the, and he has trained himself he's doing a nutrition degree I think he's finished it now um, and one of the things that we learnt is that coconut oil um, is obviously a legitimate oil but it is very high in saturated fat yeah. and it's interesting all these health benefits and claims I, I just think you know what they have taught us and for when we write with Jamie is the 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 fat content does not it, it doesn't out but that that does not balance out I don't, I don't care how amazing your hair might look or how amazing your nails might feel go take a supplement the coke the fat in it is so crazy high so if you are making a south indian curry yeah use coconut oil because that is what they use in kerala and yeah. it is delicious um and that is their legitimate source of oil so i'm mediterranean ev like mostly everything I'll cook will be with olive oil because that's just the way and repeatedly the Mediterranean diet is said to be the healthiest diet yeah. so there's you can't ignore that you know I mean it, it keeps changing doesn't it but they were Italy and Greece always up there and I just get quite frustrated with all of these recipes and chefs and books and stuff that are like using oil, um, coconut oil for everything and I just think great if it's if it's for the purpose of the recipe and it's going to make it taste better but also let's think about you know how much that stuff is you are asking the public to go and spend 10 pounds on a jar of something that is actually higher in fat for them because you think it might make your toenail stronger i just don't get the benefits so use something that's more economical or more accessible or actually it's not gonna help you in any way in life so I don't think anyway that's just me but for my book coconut oil didn't come into any of the recipes I didn't do a South Indian curry or whatever but you know if you want to do my dal with it great but I created this blondie recipe and it just so happens that I think it's incredibly delicious if you use coconut oil as well as butter so I was just very blunt and said not healthy FYI probably better for you if you just use butter but it's really really nice I just thought it was very honest and it made me laugh just because, you know, working in the food industry, you are surrounded by this current trend, this fad for clean eating. So it made me laugh. Uh, You're not going to fry your eggs in coconut oil? 
No, I, I quite like oil or butter. You know, butter is my thing. And the fact that a tub of butter, you know, 250 grams of butter is, you know, two pounds versus 10 pounds for basically the same amount of coconut oil. I'm just not going to use it on a price basis. And also the taste of butter to me is, is pretty good. It's pretty good. Yeah. And also carbon footprint. Yeah. Quite frankly, you know, you can make your own butter. I do. Because Re- yeah. I'm a weirdo. No, I do too. I've got a pack in the fridge. You can make your own butter for not much money. Yeah. And you can get your double cream from cows that aren't that far away. Yeah. I mean, so, I, if I like to, I try my best and not have much wastage. So, if I do have some uh, cream left over, shake it up, turn it into butter, amazing. and you have a little bit of butter left over. So, um, you said something earlier about the fact that you used to be a vegetarian. Mm. So, what made you become a vegetarian, <laughs> and what made you stop being a vegetarian? I'm, I've clearly like just gone the opposite way to the rest of the population, haven't I? Everyone else is there giving up me, and I'm like, I need more. Uh, so our ha- our restaurant was a Cypriot restaurant, Greek taverna, and um, with a heavy emphasis on meat. Yeah. So there was a lot of grills, um, as is the <laughs> way with the Cypriot diet. And uh, yeah, so I grew up surrounded by meat. And I think when you were kids, you know how kids have funny things about certain foods, and actually meat, I think, is often one of them. Yeah. So I remember being seven and having my tonsils out. And at that time, the NHS didn't kick you out after five minutes. I was in hospital for quite a while. And my parents would bring me meat and and grills from the restaurant every day. And I was so mortified because I was like, I just want to be like the other children. They're eating crap hospital food. Um, you know, how awful. But so, yeah, so I had so much exposure to it. And I hated it. I just didn't love meat. And I was seven, you know, tell me that, who does. But... Yeah, so, um, and then my dad was a massive carnivore. Like, my mum mm. would make steak and kidney puddings from scratch and all that malarkey. So, um, someone dared my dad when I was about, I must be about 10 or something. Um, and someone dared my dad and said, I bet you can't go for a month without eating meat. Which would have been, you know, he used to have meat three times a day. Um, and he did, and he's never eaten meat since. Never? No. That's so, incredible. So if I'm 10, we're talking 24 years ago, maybe I was nine even. So for almost 25 years, my dad has been a pescatarian. So he wow. does eat fish. My sister's the same, actually. So my dad stopped eating meat, and he felt so good after a month of not eating meat. I mean, in fairness, he was eating meat all the time. So it wasn't going to be difficult. The man no. was literally like a walking gammon. So I just, <laughs> it, it's not hard. But anyway, bless him. Yeah. He hasn't touched it since. So that was a great excuse for me being 10, not liking meat to say, mom, I'm a vegetarian. Yeah. Um, every time I tell this story, I feel like it gets longer. How long I was vegetarian for? My mum thinks it was about six years. I'm okay. probably up to 15 years by okay. now, but whatever. I was veggie for a while and I just gave up meat. Um, I went through, I grew up near Camden, so I did go through that whole site, sort of like, oh, vegan piercings, don't want to drive a car, um, I'm an eco-warrior. So, yeah, which as a result meant I didn't learn to drive until about five years ago. But, uh, yeah, so I just stopped eating meat. And then I went to university, and like I said before, that's when I realised I wanted to work with food. And when it clicked that actually that was what I wanted to do in my life, I was like, hold up, I, I need to get with this. Sure. At the same time, I was really ill. So um, we have a lot of hereditary anemia in my family. So a lot of us are quite... We, it doesn't matter how many iron tablets I take, I don't yeah. get enough iron. So I was really, really heavily anemic um, at university. And it got to a stage where they were like, we, you're going to have to have iron transfusions. We can't Whoa. give you enough iron tablets. It's not working. So it was the threat of having iron transfusions and the fact that I knew I wanted to work with food. I was like, right, let's do this. 
bring on the bacon. So I was going to say, it wasn't a bacon sandwich that that tempted you back. Do you know what? The stereotype of... It was a sausage. (laughs) I think it was sausages, which is hilarious because I love sausages. I always did as a kid. That's a British answer. Yeah, it was was probably a sausage. And, but as a result, I am, I am, without saying in a sort of patronising way, I am very ethical about my meat. So I don't, I still don't eat lots of it. I'll eat anything. I literally will eat anything. However, especially chicken, I won't touch it unless I'm pretty certain it's come from a decent place. Yeah, I, th- I, I, I remember reading in the book, you said something about um, it being important to, you know, buy the best you can afford. And, you know, if yeah. that means having a little less. Yeah. And I do think that is really important because I think you look at the meat industry and it's, you know, it can be quite horrific to, mm. to view. And I think, for me, it's hypocritical as someone who eats meat to not be able to see that. Mm. So if I can see it being better, mm. I think that's a definitely a better way to do it. Absolutely. And we know we, we eat too much meat yeah. as people, you know. So. We do. So why be that person like family that you have to have meat every single day um, if you can eat it a little bit less and then just buy better? Like, it doesn't even have to be, you know, organic. Everyone thinks organic's the way forward. It's not. You can go and buy, you can buy just higher welfare you know, um, RSPCA approved or whatever it is now and, you know, free range and actually a whole chicken isn't that much money, you know, but, mm. and if you think about it, you can make that chicken last for days. So... Well, I think it's one of the things that is really important to learn and I, I want it taught in schools is really basic kitchen skills. It's mm. way cheaper to buy a whole chicken. So buy a chicken, break it down Absolutely. than buying a pack of six chicken breasts. Yeah. Which oh you gosh. may not use and they may sit there in the fridge and three of them go oh, off. That's expensive. So, I, I, it is those little things that I think are very important. Yeah, for sure. It's um, it's so funny. Do you know what? I was, when I was talking to you just now and you just said about being taught in schools. And I don't know why I haven't said this before. I didn't mention the book. Like, my mum used to come in and teach us to cook at wow. school when we were like five, six. It was, really... was she asked? Did she just turn up? <laughs> I reckon she just turned up. I don't know if she was asked, but um, we had quite a cool little school. Like, we had a dark room. Our yeah, teacher I was really into photography. Like yeah, it was amazing. But you know, when you're in primary school, it's a bit like, what are you doing? Yeah. But, uh, there was a kitchen, and my mum used to come in and teach us to do cooking classes. But yeah, and they just don't do that. And I think that's, that is, and obviously that's Jamie's big bugbear too, mm. but that is such a shame, isn't it? So when you were a kid and uh, you lived above your grandparents' restaurant, oh. is there a dish from that restaurant that was your favourite that you always wanted? Oh, um, yeah, there's something called um, kyoftedes, okay. which are. Um, it's a very sort of yeah very Greek thing kyftedes or keftedes, and it's a it's uh, like a fritter, mm. um, and if you go to Greece, each part of Greece will have a different ingredient that they do it with. So the Greeks from Greece probably eat less meat than the Cypriots. So obviously we have the Turkish yeah. infl- influence too. So the tu- the Cypriot kyftedes have pork. Whereas if you go to um, Greece, if you go to Santorini, they do tomato kyftedes, or you can get chickpea kyftedes. And they're basically lo- these lovely little fritters that are sort of grated potato-based with onion and lots of herbs. Um, yeah, and they're just fried and loads of oil. Yeah, but they're, they're yeah, they're so delicious. And my grannies are just amazing, and she still makes them for me now. But um, yeah, they're obviously really unhealthy, but I love them like you meant to have three but as a kid I mean I was probably that's why I was probably a bit fat but you know I was like you'd eat 12 just... that's fine 12 things you know, just yeah. ones. Fine. It's they are very nice so in the book what would you say well, you might not do I think it's very hard to pick um, is there a favourite recipe in the book oh god <laughs> oh so my husband said to this story, he was like oh you've got to pick a recipe because people are going to ask you that question and it's really funny he kept saying it to me and I don't think I actually sat down to figure it out but <laughs> Um, 
<laughs> I would say um, it's probably pro- I can't pronounce my R's FYI I've got a soft R uh, it's probably the chicken harissa recipe actually because um, I feel like it sums up the book quite well it's easy which I feel like a lot of my recipes are I hope, yeah, I hope I would they're accessible agree. yeah they're um, very straightforward it's it's accessible it's easy it's um people love roast chicken it's just a crowd pleaser yeah. most people love a roast chicken and it's really bloody delicious <laughs> I, say, I gave my uh, I cooked from the book last night okay. and I gave my oh, flatmate uh, the option of either the pomegranate yeah. kebabs with the salad and the pesto or the chicken yeah. he chose the chicken but I ignored him and made the kebabs anyway which were okay. delicious so, okay. but the yeah. harissa chicken will, will be next I yeah because, because it's a roast it's, an, it's a very kind of old school British thing yes. to sit down and have a roast and I think you know, harissa chicken is just super delicious. It is delicious. And I think the, the pomegranate kebabs are, are really nice. And that, for me, is more of a nostalgia thing. That was when I first started learning to cook. That was one of the things I did. And we always grew up having kebabs, obviously mm. being Greek. And chicken kebabs was something that we used to have a lot. And it was just like a little twist on it. And actually, it's just something that you can have quite easily and quickly yeah. during the week. But the harissa chicken, is it's... It is really delicious, but I think the best thing for me is that when you cook it, shred the chicken off the bone into the buttery juices, and then um, the next day they are ridiculous. Like they're even nicer as is anything slow cooked the next day, and um, just put it in a big bap. Nice, so nice. I mean, talking about baps. Oh, hello. We should probably talk about the one. (laughs) You haven't even finished your apple. I don't know why we're on baps. It's the one that made me giggle as a northerner, and it made me, you know. Gave me a bit of nostalgia. Not that I've ever done this, but in the in the in the book, yeah. there is a recipe for your husband, which is a pie. Yeah. But what is the pie served in? It's As a, an option, it's a pie balm. And to anyone listening, a balm is a bread roll. A balm is so a it's massive carb bread carb roll. Carb. It looks delicious. Well, the thing is, when I first met my husband, um, one of the things that amused him about me the most, uh, which could not be further from my upbringing, was that his family still to this day have a weekly menu. <laughs> I know, bless him, he's amazing. They li- So his mum would do the same thing every, every week, Tuesday. Yeah. yeah. So that was that. And so that fascinated me from the get-go. Yeah. And so then we delved into his, like, eating. And he had never had pasta till he was 18. You know, he was very, very, very northern. Like, See, I'm um, from the north. I had pasta when I was five. Yeah, no, he was, wow. you know, very for traditional northern, should yeah. say. Sorry, I'm not to say all northerners are the same. But he was, <laughs> Christ, I'm going to get, like, a huge backlash now. But he was, you know, very traditional. Wow. So, you know, it was like hot pot, bangers and mash, yeah. etc. So he and his parents are amazing, and whenever they come down, I like break them a bit more. I'm like, come on, try this, try this. So and they're great, and they're really game. But so yeah, he had quite a traditional upbringing food wise. Yeah. Um, and one of the things was pie balm, and it's very, it is quite specific to where he's from. I think yeah, it's actually it's a Bolton very local thing. thing. It's a Bolton thing. Yeah. Well, from what I'm aware, it's a Bolton thing. Bolton. But it's or, hyper um, local to like that area of yes, Lancashire. Yes, very definitely. much so. So he, um, his village that he's from has a butcher's, a bakery, um, and obviously about twenty pubs. But that's it. Like nothing yeah. else, right? So. Um, he grew up with pie balm and it's like a homemade thin pie and a totally also the first argument we ever had I made him a pie I made him a pastry topped pie I mean my husband's very calm he lost it because there was no pastry that's not a pie I was like I would agree I would agree I mean to me a pie has to have pastry covering everything I know that now Ed I mean I've learned (laughs) from my mistake I mean also the other thing I did wrong was 
I didn't have extra gravy on the side, even though it was like super wet, like fully gravy. Like, no, anyway, we learn. But uh, so yeah, pie balm. So it's generic meat. Yeah. I don't know. Meat and potato pie. So I was like, so hold up, babe. There's potato and meat inside pastry. So there's potato in pastry. Yeah. And then it's in a bread roll. And he's like, yeah. Like, j- j- can't see the problem with this. I was like, right, okay, okay. And, you know, heavily buttered. Yeah. A lot of HP. Yeah. And the pastry should be warm. Uh, the pie should be warm, sorry. Um, and, yeah, I get it. It is kind of delicious. It is pretty delicious. And I'm sure people will look at that recipe and just think, oh, that's a bit of a piss take. But um, forget the forget the balm cake. It is a hopefully you will think it is a delicious pie so it's beef shin it's slow cooked it's you know very very tasty and homemade pastry I mean you can't go wrong serve it with some mashed potato and greens you'll have a lovely time but if you want something that is a bit authentic shove it in a balm cake like you know and when, I love that we're talking about the authenticity it's authentic you know what? you can't like that's just that's what they do yeah so he would have that for lunch at school and you know he's thin I he mean, is incredibly I thin don't understand how that happens it annoys me when I see thin people that eat a lot because I eat a lot Listen. and I'm not as skinny as I used to be in fairness he's not um, he doesn't eat huge quantities no. but you know bless him his idea of being naughty is a uh, Greg's steak bake and a sausage roll I was like wow <laughs> I just don't get it but when, uh, when so he really likes pastry he just uh, yes yeah. yes he is obsessed with pastry like he works in the city, so he has access to very nice food places every single day of his life. And so we, well, no, so in the city, obviously, there's all these like really high end. Yeah. So he'd always have these posh lunches. There was no Greg's, and we don't talk during the day. His job is quite high pressure, so we don't talk. And then one day, I get a phone call from him at quarter past twelve. He's on lunch break every day at twelve. I was like, "Wow, Pete's calling me during the day. I mean, this this is an emergency, so I answer it." And I'm like, "Babe, what's wrong?" He's like, "Oh my god." There's a Greg's that's opened in the city. I was like, wow, literally, this is the first time in our entire relationship that you've called me during the day. And it's obviously clearly very important. So it's because there's pastry on tap now. Yep. Very useful. I'm surprised. I'm slightly surprised there's a Greg's in the city. Yeah. They but, just, you know, well, you know. Go for it. Why not? They love a bargain, don't they? <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, you said something earlier about um, hoping the book is accessible and, you know, easy to make. And it is one of the things that struck me is I was looking through recipes thinking what I wanted to cook. Mm-hmm. And the amount of things I had already mm. was quite high. And that always impresses me about a book when it's clearly, I would imagine, been written so that you don't have to go and buy a hundred things. Good. It feels very store-covered with a few extras. And I think that's a really nice way of doing it. That's, that's again, that's really important because um, I'm really happy you picked up on that because... You know, there are lots of cookbooks at the moment and I have lots of friends who have written very beautiful cookbooks and upsettingly, you know, the, some of the negative feedback has been, oh, I can't find ingredients. And I, I think as someone who's born and raised in London, I am very privileged in that I don't have to ever go very far to find unusual yes. ingredients. Um, but at the same time, you know, I can fully appreciate that we're lucky. That this is this yeah. is because of where we live. So when I was writing the book, I consciously I was like, right, can my mother-in-law get that that get that from the Tesco's in Haslingdon? Yeah. Because you know that is a good indicator for me. And I just think, okay, if if five percent of the book is stuff that you might have to order or is a bit more aspirational, a bit more unusual, then I think I'm okay with that because actually that's why maybe we buy cookbooks is to learn. So that's okay. 
But at the same time, I, it, you don't ever want it to be a chore, do you? No, you want people to actually cook from the book. Yeah. And so you can't make things that aren't accessible, to, at least to a degree. And I think yeah. there is a really nice balance of that in the book. Oh, good. I'm really glad. Um, I think we are about to run out of time. So <gasps> before we go, yeah. we have our shopping list. Oh. So this is a very quick fire thing, and it's very silly. Oh, no, I'm not really good at these questions. No, no, it's fine. You get multiple oh. choices. It's okay, just meant okay, to, okay. Uh, let us understand your tastes in food a little bit more. Okay. Um, and you don't have to elaborate. If you want to, you can elaborate on your answers. Okay. But otherwise, you can just Say answer. It. Yes. All right, go so, on. sweet or spicy? Spicy. Chicken or fish? Fish. Avocado or chocolate? Oh, I'm going to be annoying. Oh, no. No, actually, I'm not going to be annoying. Chocolate. What? Who the hell am I kidding? Like, <laughs> I no. thought you were going to say you were going to be annoying and say avocado. No. that would have been annoying. Well, uh, Just no. don't put the two together. No. 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 No avocado no. chocolate Just moves. chocolate. But not chocolate flavoured things. Actual chocolate. Actual I want chocolate. actual chocolate. Yes. Yeah. Pasta or potato? Pasta. Good. Tea or coffee? Coffee. Oh, my God. I literally do not get out of bed. I sound like a right spoiled brat here. And as someone who does all the cooking and cleaning in the house, trust me, I'm not. However... Nine times out of ten, I won't get out of bed until my husband's bought me coffee. <laughs> I, I mean, don't talk to me. Literally, do not talk to me. <laughs> Good to know. Dinner party or restaurant? Dinner party. Good. Apple pie or apple crumble? Ooh, pie. Southerner. There we go. Oh, is that a thing? I think so. I grew up having crumble. I didn't have an apple pie until I was a lot older. And oh, I don't know if it is a northern thing, but in my head, it definitely oh, is. Oh, okay. Yeah, no. Yeah, pie. Custard or cream? Oh, God. I don't like either. Oh, my really? God. Really? Oh, God. I Hot custard, I think is... Oh, but no. Sorry. I'm not into hot custard. Oh, God. And I really You can have an optional one of ice cream. Have ice cream. Oh, my God. I love ice cream. cream. Yeah, Even though ice cream's just custard... But it is cold. Yeah, but I said cold. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Fine. yeah, ice cream. And finally, fine dining or street food? Street food. I knew you were going to say. <laughs> I'm not a fine dining girl. So I just want to say a massive thank you again for coming oh. on the podcast and for cooking me a delicious dinner. Pleasure. Thank and you also, for having me. And also, just to remind everybody that the book is Stirring Slowly Yay. and is out now. And it is well worth a look. Oh, thank, thank you. Thank you very much. Oh.